Black Friday offers about just keeping them consistent is stay with one or two, don't end up serving seven or eight, nine, ten, like which a couple of accounts were doing last year. And basically the results just tailored off. So you'd get a massive spike when that first email went out. And then as you re-serve them emails with different offers, it just dropped off pretty dramatically to the point where I don't think we even ran the last offer towards the end of the Black Friday period because results were just dropping off so dramatically it wasn't worth doing it. This is the Customer Acquisition Show, the podcast that helps you turn complete strangers into repeat customers and grow your business. Hello and welcome to the Customer Acquisition Show. I'm your host, Tom Meredith, the VP of Marketing here at Tier 11. Today I'm joined by two of our amazing media buyers who've been on before, but it's been a little bit. Ollie and Cameron, how are you guys doing? Very good, Tom. Thank you. Yeah, really good. Where are you guys at these days? I know, Cameron, you always seem to bounce around a bit. Yeah, I've bounced around again. So the last year I was in Barcelona, but then I've currently moved to Poland. So I'm still like deciding if I stay. Because, you know, it's winter, it's going to get cold, but I think I will be staying for now anyway. Yeah. And how about you, Ollie, living the dad life? Yeah, I'd love to say that I was bouncing around, but unfortunately, I'm very much stuck in one place in the yeah. south of the UK, but right by the beach, so can't really complain too much. You're bouncing uh, around in another sense then. <laughs> <laughs> and then, Ollie, you are basically the game master at tier 11 i know after we record this we're doing something amazing what's on the docket for today yeah so the first group just did the first one earlier today which was full taboo and that was yeah went down really well and we got another one later on this afternoon so looking forward to getting involved with that again i think it's great that you're doing that i know being a completely remote agency almost all our interaction is either in slack or on like business calls so you've really taken the charge about kind of putting these cultural events together and they're super fun to participate in. So thank you. Uh, yeah, it's been great to be involved with. Like people seem to be enjoying it. So we're going to do a series like over three months. So roll it out up to Christmas. So be good to do something outside of work. We interact so much on a daily basis, but have a bit of fun as well. Yeah. I can't believe Christmas is right around the corner. We'll hit on a Black Friday in a little bit, but it's already time to start thinking about that. Yeah. Cool. All right. So the topic is a recurring one here of what's working now in meta ads. So off the top of your head, anything that you're noticing what's working or not working at the moment? Yeah. So for me, I'd say like the full funnel approach is really working well. So in particular, actually serving ads to blogs seems to be doing particularly well for clients at the moment. And I think there's quite a bigger overall reason why it might be working, not necessarily You'd think serving an ad to a blog is fairly simple, but I think there's much wider considerations taking place. You're actually able to educate the customer much better because you're restrained by ad copy or an ad video, its length or its optimum time. Whereas a blog, you know, you can really like tell the customer about your product, your ethos, your mission, and then also how people are buying at the moment. So there's much less impulse purchasing. So apparently in 2023 there's like going to be 40 percent less impulse purchases and then also like the quality of traffic so once people are sort of invested in that blog they've taken a lot of time and consideration to actually read that and things you've got their attention but also your retargeting ads which you could use like the top 25 percent of people who've spent time on the website and retarget using that customer audience becomes really powerful yeah i know that's something we've been talking a lot about lately but i'm 
really interested to hear more about like your approach to full funnel marketing and I guess starting at the beginning, like how would you define full funnel marketing in terms of performance marketing? I think full funnel marketing just takes into a lot more consideration about how the actual buyer is behaving and you're thinking more about their journey and thought process rather than just delivering them a slam dunk conversion ad which you're hoping that they're going to make a purchase straight away and if they don't then you follow them up with a retargeting ad another conversion ad so it's like bam bam sell purchase purchase whereas full fun marketing is actually treating someone a bit more like a human and a bit like okay i'm getting educated on what they do i've watched a video i've seen a blog okay i'm getting a follow-up with this is their mission or this is what other people have to say about them okay i'm more in a mind frame that i might make a purchase so then you serve that product catalog ad or whatever it might be but i feel like it's being a lot more human just than that slam dunk ad that you tend to serve straight away yeah, it's less focused on wanting sort of an instant result as well. And thinking about, you know, all these things you're doing organically, making your blogs for SEO, you know, posting your organic social where you're a bit more educational, you're a bit more brand focused, showing a bit of the personality of the brand, is putting that stuff into the paid assets and pushing it out to a wider audience to begin that process. Because I mean, everyone knows, you know, the algorithms organically are just getting worse and worse as well. So if, if we can now take some of the stuff that's been going on there in the paid side and help it, you're also doing more of that work over in the paid side, as well as just putting less reliance of your spend there onto conversion, which is again, getting more expensive, getting more competitive and people aren't the same. You don't have the same conversion intent that they maybe once had when the market was a bit better. Yeah, I think even if you go all the way back to breakthrough advertising from Eugene Schwartz, he talks about market maturity and just the more mature market is, the more you really have to extend the customer journey in that. It just basically, I think it's a really interesting way of thinking about this, which is obvious, but we just have to market to humans. And Yeah. And it's going back to being marketers rather than just a straight, you know, technical media buyer where all you were doing was looking at a certain data. You're thinking more about the full funnel and doing different strategies completely at different parts of the funnel, which you might not see like, a, so all of your situation, you saw a distinct improvement in results from doing that. But in other situations, maybe you won't see that distinct improvement. But let's say, you know, six months down the line, you just seem to continually do well and maybe your competitors fall off. And that's what it is, is you've built that audience, you've warmed them up and they've got the brand loyalty because you're the one that has brought them into your industry, your product, your brand, whatever that may be. You also hit on another idea here of the personality of the brand and the Marketing Against the Grain podcast, I talk a lot about using AI and when everybody's using AI, especially for all these lower funnel activities, even upper funnel activities, it's all going to start to look the same. And the only thing that's going to differentiate is your brand personality. And it's really a way for you to showcase who you are and to build that emotional bond with your future customers. Yes, that's almost the most important thing right now because most people are looking at their budgets and their outgoings and cost of living is going up massively. So people are watching their money, but you've got to have a strong enough bond with your customer that they're not just going to leave you straight away and go and find a competitor just on price difference. So you want to build that brand loyalty and that relationship. So when they're saying, okay, it might be a bit cheaper with a competitor, I don't know that competitor, but all I see is a price difference. You have built that loyalty where they're like, no, I'm not going to just make a purchase because it's cheaper. I actually believe in what this company do. 
And also the interesting thing is that when times are difficult, people actually still want to support local businesses because they appreciate that they're going through difficult times. So you get that bit of brand loyalty in times of economic trouble. It's just making sure that they want to stick with you for the right reasons and you've built that up with them. Yeah. And almost like if they're already the pool that's in the conversion objective, maybe you're too late for that. You know, maybe they've already decided they want a product and they're past the point where they would care about something more, I don't know, green or ethical or whatever, a brand that's doing something that aligns with some sort of thing that they're also aligned with. You know, if they're in the conversion state, they just want the thing, you know, they're impulsive. We're getting more and more impulsive because of things like TikTok. We don't want to wait and find out more research. We just want to buy if we are ready to buy something. So yeah, I guess that's also part of it. But one thing I think as well, if you're looking at full funnel, one of the things we noticed early on when we started trying to do it, so not in the situation of blogs, but let's say you're trying to take some of your videos and move them into other objectives that are offered within Meta, within Facebook, you have to make the content appropriate for that part of the funnel. You can't just take your best conversion ads and stick them somewhere else and you know hope that's going to warm people up. We definitely did see that you know you have to think, hey, let's make a custom video or custom creative for this segment of the funnel. And all it's doing is educating or introducing the brand. It's not even trying to sell people yet. Yeah. One thing I've kind of sort of wrapped my head around is where people are in this journey and what their buying behavior is. So conversion is really people that are just looking to buy the product. They know they need the product. You start to get in consideration. That's when people are considering the category. They're kind of weighing everybody all the different products in the category against each other. And you get to awareness and that's really trying to introduce people to the category as a whole. But if you're only focused on conversion, you're trying to steal somebody else's consideration work. And that's why it becomes so expensive is because getting those people to switch over costs a lot. So that's just something I've been thinking about a lot. Like when you're focusing on this consideration phase, really think of people are in this category. They're just trying to identify which is going to suit their needs the best. Yeah. And I think, as you were saying, if we're talking about the full funnel and then serving the conversion ads too early, we're basically banging our heads against a brick wall because we're asking someone to make a purchase when they are not in that state of mind. And we're serving the most expensive ad in the auction. And yet we're hitting them at the wrong time of where they might be in that buying journey. So it's expensive on our side to do that method as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you tell someone, here's three reasons why our product's the best, where they don't even know they have a problem, that's just obviously completely wasted on them. Like, okay, well, I don't have any problem, but maybe they do. You just need to tell them, here, here's the problem you have. Okay, here's the solution category, and here's the brands. We're one of them. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit like how you go about moving up the funnel, because you know, we all performance marketers in general come from this like conversion mindset and we're all starting to grow a little bit into this consideration awareness. How do you go about determining what to use for consideration ads? Yeah. So in terms of moving up the funnel, I think it's like very different. I don't know if you remember having calls with Facebook support five years ago and they were just like traffic, traffic, retarget, traffic, traffic, retarget. It's not quite as, I still don't think that works. don't think it ever worked, but the consideration phase is more about serving different types of content to them, whether it be their own organic posting, which you've put some ad spend behind, whether it be the blogs, whether it be video views, whether it be different forms of, like Cameron said, introducing those problems, which they might 
either know about or might not know about and yet be introduced to this product which solve those problems. And also the most important part is the way you're serving those ads is more cost effective because you could be serving them as landing page views or video views and you're getting the same audience onto your site at a more cost effective manner. You could argue about the quality of those people, but nonetheless, you're still getting wasted on the conversion ads. You're just not paying top dollar to serve that ad to them and for them to take any kind of action. Yeah, I'd argue that the quality concern isn't that valid because nobody's going to watch a video and then click on something that they're not interested in. They might not be in buying mode, but they're still if they're taking those actions, they are at least interested in learning more. Yeah. If you roll it back to the blogs that we were talking about, you can filter that down even further, like we said, about retargeting the top 25% of people that spent time on that page or the website. You know for sure you've got super high quality because they've invested the time into that blog. Yeah. So talking a little bit more about quality and keeping things clean, one of the things that came up in one of our more recent team calls, Cameron, we were talking a little bit about ad hygiene. I guess hit on what that is and what you've been seeing working. Yeah. So ad hygiene really is the engagement, the comments that are on your ads. And really the big question that was always in the air, which it seems to have disappeared is, should you delete the comments on your ads? Whether negative, obviously you want to keep the positive ones. But in my experience, I actually think it is beneficial to delete negative comments, which maybe goes against what the Facebook ads world was saying in the past. But I think that was just hearsay that's come from organic people who were talking about how to do social media. There's nothing really in any literature from Meta saying bad signals come from deleting negative ads. But the actual real world scenarios that I see is when you have negative stuff, it definitely does affect the performance of your ads. And you can see that in the CPA changing from one day to the next. The CPMs too, just looking at, okay, what's happened this day? Why were we doing well the whole of this week and then today we're not doing well? I always check the comments first of all. And, you know, nine times out of 10, there's some really stinky comment that just has really hurt you. So I advocate for good ad health by deleting negative comments. And you don't necessarily need to fully delete them. I'm not saying delete absolutely everything that is negative. Of course, if something is genuine, let's say a customer has a complaint about the product or they have an issue and you want to showcase good customer support and just as a business you want to help that customer and they've come to you via your ad rather than emailing or something of course you can reply to them but if it is something that does help them but it's just negative to say the product was faulty and broke you want to help them out but then after you've responded to them you can just hide that comment they will still see it you will still see it but no one else viewing that ad will be able to see that comment or your response. So it's not going to affect their decision to purchase. So what I'll often do with my accounts is I'll get them to add very common keywords that come up negatively. Things like people just people that don't even know the product, the brand, you know, they're not helpful. They're just saying expensive or spam or like comes from China, like wherever. I will just put them into a keyword list. We'll put them into Facebook on the page, negative keyword lists, and we'll put them into the Instagram profile, negative keyword list. You have to do the two separately. And then Meta is going to automatically hide any of those comments organically, but also on your ads. So you're not going to have that situation of coming to the ads manager one day and going, hang on, why is my CPA dropped off when it was fine yesterday, you know? Yeah, it's kind of funny that the negative signal, if there is one, happens when the comment is written. That's what the algorithm would probably 
engage with or make their decisions yeah, based yeah. off. So you hide it after the fact. The damage, at least to the algorithm, is done, but not to the emotion that people are feeling when they're reading them. Yeah, we always seem to forget that Meta is one of the biggest tech companies in the in the world. They have like the best AI, but we always look at it rudimentally as if, like you're saying, a negative signal from a comment sitting there could actually affect it. They know the comment. They probably know just from people like spending time reading it, that pause of the screen, that something's happening with that negative comment. So you, you remove that by just hiding it, I guess, keeping it clean. Yeah, I think we humans have a hard time understanding the capabilities of all AI, but particularly Meta, who's been doing this for how so many years at this point and has really trained the machine learning. Yeah, but then there are situations where you'll have a negative comment and you might want to leave your public response because it actually handles a common objection and then people can read that. So they might not voice the objection. They might just go, hang on. Subconsciously, okay, here's my objection. I'm not going to buy. If someone else has had that same objection and then you've responded to it, they would have read the comment gone, oh, okay, so that's not a real reason for me not to purchase. Hey, I'm just going to go and purchase. So you have to really take your own view on what is too negative and what is beneficial negative. But yeah, most of the time, it's just better to take the safe route and hide it. And if you see something change, a lot of time, Go look at your comments to see if there's anything negative that's come in because you can definitely see a change in performance on an ad. And rather than just deleting that ad and you know starting again with the same assets, losing all the machine learning that's built up on it and all that other engagement, this is a much better way to keep that ad running more evergreen and not fatiguing because sometimes creative fatigue isn't actually creative fatigue. It's just bad ad hygiene. So my mom was right. Hygiene is important. She <laughs> in was. And in uh, performance marketing. Nice. What other sort of things are working or not working at the moment for you or any broader trends that you're seeing? So we've been using Facebook forms for quite a while. It's like something that Cameron and I have talked about in the past. And basically after iOS 14, where Facebook lost control of everything and all its tracking, the one thing it could do was actually put some higher quality into its Facebook forms because before that, they were pretty poor quality. Like you were getting super low cost per lead, but it didn't really matter because they would very, very rarely convert. And I think after iOS 14, they decided that was one thing that they could control. And they just ended up serving a lot more quality into those forms. And those forms could now be used for like much higher ticket, higher intent businesses, whether it be like law firms looking for lead generation or whether it be coaching courses, all of those types of things. There's more people converting from those forms than before. Yeah. I mean, even e-com, like I never really used forms for e-com lead gen, but, you know, after talking with Ollie about giveaways and things, competitions, that's something that we're going to be doing on the e-com side as well, trying lead forms to generate the leads. Yeah. So actually something you mentioned Black Friday. So this is one scenario where using lead forms can be really helpful for Black Friday. So last year on a number of accounts, we were basically using lead forms for people to get exclusive first access to that Black Friday deal and they would be guaranteed 48 hours access and it might be let's say it was an e-com retail store well the USP would be sign up and be guaranteed that all the sizes are available and you know they may go by the time it goes to general release so people were really like high intent really keen to sign up and those cost per leads were like really low sometimes below a dollar. Nice. Perfect segue into Black Friday. So Black Friday strategies for 2023 and especially taking into consideration our new love for Full Funnel. 
how should people start thinking about Black Friday, which is a month and a half away? Yeah, I think definitely a lot of accounts now are looking to do that audience building before getting leads on the actual weekend, marketing to them via email. So they've already kind of locked in the people and they're not paying the high CPMs during the period and also just risking anything going wrong. But I think in recent years as well, what I've seen is a lot of the time your evergreen campaigns can be on par to your Black Friday specific sales ones or even sometimes better. As long as you're keeping on your website, the offer clearly stated everywhere. Like I definitely found that almost to be better just to use all that audiences built up in an evergreen campaign, use the machine learning just make sure you have the actual offer somewhere they see it. So the, the usual traffic's coming through. It's already dialed in into who it wants. And they just go, hey, there's a discount I'm going to buy right now today. So yeah, that's definitely been a big thing that I saw last year helping. But I also think keeping it simple is a good Black Friday strategy because with that process of building leads, often what we do is have like tiered discounts for different days and things, which I feel almost confuses people sometimes and you know you're just giving more away when they might have even converted on your lower offer so like i'm now recommending just keep one offer for black friday and have it throughout the if you're running a friday to monday whatever sale have it throughout yeah so i find that as well like the one clear offer because i think if you do at least me personally, when I'm buying stuff on Black Friday, if there is multiple offers or multiple days where offers change, I often end up wondering, well, is there going to be a better offer later? Versus if their brand is clear, like this is our Black Friday deal. There's not going to get any better. Maybe it gets worse. And then it becomes super clear and a lot easier to buy. Yeah, definitely. That was something I saw uh, last year with Black Friday offers about just keeping them consistent is stay with one or two, don't end up serving seven or eight, nine, ten, like which a couple of accounts were doing last year. And basically, the results just tailored off. So you get a massive spike when that first email went out. And then as you re-serve them emails with different offers, it just dropped off pretty dramatically to the point where I don't think we even ran the last offer towards the end of the Black Friday period because results were just dropping off so dramatically it wasn't worth doing it. Hmm. All right, so we've got using lead forms to start building your email list, a single or maybe two offers total for Black Friday. Don't turn off your best performing business as usual campaigns. Just make sure you have clear offer on the website. And then we started to talk about audience building Traditionally, that's juicing the pixel a little bit or making sure that people are part of your real audience and meta. But how about this idea where it's a bit more like creative and building awareness and consideration leading into it? Yeah. I mean, I don't have any specific recommendations of what that might look like, but it certainly all ties in. You know, you're priming people ready for a couple months time and then there's a good offer for them a couple weeks even. Yeah, I think that's mainly what it is. One massive tip I've got, which I saw a couple of years ago, was there was a load of businesses who had their ads in review for about a week or two. So basically, they didn't launch any of their Black Friday ads because Facebook just got so clogged up or it had some bugs or something like that. So make sure you've got some ads like ready, approved, that can just be launched or scaled up like don't be in a position where you're launching ads at the last minute and you and everything's clogged up at facebook and you can't get them through the review process and don't forget that meta had pretty massive layoffs over the last year 
So that review process could be even worse this year. Yeah. I also think look back at what happened last year and don't just look at the weekend, you know, look at the months either side, you know, look what happened. You may have had a great Black Friday, Cyber Monday, but how was it the next month? Did your results just tank? And actually the average of the months is net the same, like whatever, like look at it very critically to make your plan. Because quite often people will go too hard in Black Friday, Cyber Monday because they're getting such good results and then they'll just lose that the next month because if they've not built the audience that we're talking about they've basically just eaten up the whole audience that was sitting there being warmed up by them and uh, they've got nothing they have to go out and get the new people the next month so i think that also ties into what we're saying about this full funnel strategy you're bringing more people into that so you push all the ones for black friday Saturday money and then you've got another lot coming out after even if they weren't quite warmed up for that weekend to purchase yet and you're not in that situation are you suggesting not just doing conversion-only ads during that time period? Yeah, potentially. Just keep keep it evergreen, you know, your other funnel objectives. Nice. Talking about funnel objectives, I know before this call, we kind of chatted a little bit and all you're talking about consumer behavior changing and how consumers are responding to different funnel objectives. Yeah. So in terms of consumer behavior, I think there's a massive disconnect between the ads that we're serving at the moment and how people are actually viewing purchases and their behavior towards it, you know, reduction in impulse purchases, more people considering what their sort of daily monthly budgets are. We just now need to really sort of connect with that customer and take them on a journey. Like we talked about some of the content that might relate to that different stage of the journey. So they're getting more and more educated, warmer and warmer. And we're speaking to them as a human, taking them through a process where we're not actually expecting them to make a purchase right at the very beginning and that's almost a bit of a mindset change as well and the way that we're viewing our ads our ad strategy our relationship potentially with a company that we're running ads for that this is a journey this is somewhere we are adapting to outside environments in the economy around us like so that everyone kindly buys into that philosophy and we're treating the ads as a step-by-step process to ultimately get the sale and the purchase, but just in a different manner than what we're so accustomed to. How controlled are you in serving these ads? Previously, we've talked a bit on, I think this is a big thing Ralph always liked to do, of retargeting from one video view ad to a landing page to a conversion, like really trying to control that journey. Is that how you're still thinking about it? Or are you just kind of <laughs> going broad and letting Meta sort it out? No, there's still, on my side, fair bit of control in terms of like how that ad is run rather than going like really broad. Because at the same time, where you want to speak to more people in a more cost-effective way, you still want to be kind of talking to the right people or people that are actually going to go through that funnel or have the opportunity to do so. You could argue, depending on how mature your pixel is, that you can do open targeting where you've got no interest or custom audience in there, but that's where you're at a level of maturity in the ad account where it already knows what it's doing. So if you've got enough confidence in the pixel to be able to do that, then great. But otherwise, you'd still need to filter down into the interests which are going to suit your product or your customer Hmm. i think it depends as well on where you're trying to hit in that funnel you know if you're right at the top of awareness maybe you want to be more targeted i'm very big on broad and I, i feel like traffic wise i think it does know to some extent what people's interests are even if you're just going broad because you look at the organic algorithm it knows what to serve you based on your behavior 
even me, if I create like a new Instagram very quickly, that display feed looks like <laughs> the one of my personal profile or whatever. And I see all my friends liking the same videos. So, you know, I think it, it has a lot of data on people and there is something we don't know exactly what's going on. But I think, yeah, there is some benefit as well as just leaving it broad and then it just pull in as many people as possible. What I would say, though, about building a video view audience and then directly hitting those people, I think that still stands true that in the past, doing that with like a video view is objective and then hitting it straight with a conversion, you're not going to see great results because that pull of people is not great versus if you had something targeted already, they're already in the audience and then you're targeting those people with the video view percentage, whatever, is going to do well because you've already sort of qualified those people a little bit and they are interested in buying. Yeah. I definitely fall a bit more in the going broad camp, just especially over a longer period of time. You're giving the machine learning an objective and you're giving it a creative and money. And over time, it's going to achieve that objective more and more at a cheaper price, as long as it doesn't run out of audience. And that's why going broad should help drive that efficiency. Yeah. It's all about time. This is the biggest thing I feel that we're missing because we're coming from that conversion. It's just we're not giving things enough time to let them run and just chill and like gradually improve it over time. Nick Miller, our uh, head of media buying, and I were out in New York at a Meta Summit. And I think one of the things that kind of shocked us, they were talking about advantage shopping campaigns. And you really need to let them run for eight weeks before making a decision, which is so different than how we typically have thought about things where it's just so fast. Oh, it's not converting after a week, turn it off. But it does need that time and that money, which I'm sure definitely serves the meta coffers a little bit, but that's just fundamentally how these things work. Google says the same thing for all of their stuff. Yeah. And I remember in the past as well, I'd have clients complaining that one ad was taking all the spend and they just couldn't get anything else to take any spend. But this ad was doing well for them. So it's like, well, who cares if it's been running for two years and it's doing really, really well? Like that's, it's doing well. If we can't beat it, you can't beat it. It's, like, it's not really a negative thing. Yeah. And with the time frame as well, I saw a test whereby they ran an ABO campaign against a CBO campaign. And basically it was man versus machine who could get the best results. And ABO performed much stronger to start with and then started to tail off, and then CBO started much slower and then got its higher performance. So that goes along with what you're saying about the Advantage Plus shopping campaigns where it does need that time investment, but as media buyers, we don't always have time on our side. Yeah. I mean, you're definitely accountable to clients, and they're accountable to their bosses, and there is a certain aspect of managing the expectations of how quickly somebody can get a return. And I can kind of see as well how the shopping campaigns and the CBOs work well if you do give them time because in a lot of accounts, and I'm seeing it more and more now, is delayed attribution. So I've turned off ads, which the following day I've then seen it's got a couple of sales attributed to it and it's got a brilliant ROAS. And I've butchered myself because I've turned that off and great, I can turn it back on, but it's got to go back through the learning process. So giving it that time is really difficult to do, but... The way Meta's even set up, you need to give it time and allow that attribution to kick in. Yeah, totally. Is there any reason to turn an ad off? I think only if it's taking too much spend and having a negative performance. If it's not taking very much, because we had this situation actually in one of my accounts. We're still trying to see the outcome, but basically what happened was we were testing some UGC testimonial images that people had commented on the ads. So they were all showing off their product and use in the ad comments. 
we then ran this in a CBO campaign with the top ad, which was like, you know, like an explainer video. And all the spend went towards that UGC, lots and lots of engagement, you know, hundreds of comments. But the actual RAS on it was a lot lower than the other one and too far below the KPI. So we turned it off. But then ever since that was turned off, the other campaign just hasn't been performing. So the overall in it is much lower than it was when they were together. So we've now just turned it back on. That still is taking all the spend, but the other one is now positive RAS for the KPI. So we're going to leave it a bit longer and see if it balances out and brings that overall up. So in that situation, it's like, well, it's providing a different function. You may not know exactly what it's doing, but if your overall is doing well, sometimes it's better just to leave them on and let the algorithm play with them because like any given day, Ollie's saying as well, I've had the same situation. It may look bad and then suddenly, oh, what last week actually looked great, but during last week when I was optimizing, it looked terrible um, on that ad. Yeah, I mean, I think like what Cameron's just said is also a perfect example of full funnel approach whereby you're viewing an ad account as a whole rather than by ad set or by ad and that the performance of those individual tiny pieces, like what Cameron's done, he's seen the whole ad account and the overall performance and everything ties together. And it's not just the ad account, it's multi-platform, right? We always are like, well, Google has such a high ROAS. Well, it's because Facebook's doing all the work. And now we're just talking about, well, Facebook is doing the same thing within their own platform. And if we think about like the machine learning and the neural network, it's not just input, one step, output. There's multiple steps in that process to get to that final output that you want. Yeah, I think Amazon's the worst one as well because less of the third-party tracking tools are, are showing that accurately, but a lot of the traffic is going there, view through. Rather than going to Google, they're going straight to Amazon and seeing if you're there so they can get it on their Prime uh, subscription. It's a whole other business problem. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Ollie, I know you're going to throw a taboo game party here shortly, so we've got to wrap it up. Thank you guys for coming on again. I really enjoy these conversations, talking about more like the full funnel and the nerdier side of meta advertising. Yeah, yeah thanks. thanks so Great. And uh, if you're looking for some help with your full funnel marketing, head over to tier11.com, hit the big pink button, and we'd love to chat with you and talk about how we can help support your whole customer journey across multiple platforms. Thank you, guys. And till next time, I'm Tom Meredith. Thanks for listening to the Customer Acquisition Show. Take the next step toward growing your customer base. Visit tier11.com and request your customized growth plan. And remember to hit the follow button so you can be notified of future episodes.